Welcome to the Ascent Podcast. Thanks for listening. Ascent is the college ministry at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. For more information, follow us on Instagram at Ascent underscore TRBC. We hope you enjoy the message. Here we are, spring 2019. Come on, can someone say, thank you, Jesus? Come on. Well, my name is Quincy. If we haven't met, I serve here as the college pastor at Thomas Road. And whether this is your first time, I don't know how you got here. Maybe your friend dragged you, you know, drug you out of bed, drug you out of the dorm. And you're just like, hey, come to this thing in La Haye. It's happening right now. Um, we are glad that you are here. Whether, whatever campus you're from, University of Lynchburg, Randolph, CBCC, Liberty, we're thankful that you are here. And you really could not have picked a better time to be here. This is the very first gathering of spring 2019. It's our very first one. And so as I was thinking and praying about, man, how are we going to launch into this new year, right, here at Ascent, the first Ascent gathering of 2019, I thought about, well, let's just start the same way that many of you started your semester in class. Ah, Quincy, come on, class. I don't want to think about class right now, right? But I mean, think about it. Your first day in class, right, was for many of you probably Tuesday because you had a snow day, right? And then so that you had that free extra day. But you started your class, your bright eye, bushy tail, new semester, new me, right? I'm going to study hard. I'm going to get straight A's. You walk into class, and what do you do? Your first day of class, you go over the syllabus, right? Best day. And you're like, ah, sit here, talk about the syllabus. For me, when I was in school, the syllabus day was the best day because there was no assignments, nothing I had to study for, nothing I had to turn in. It was a free day. How many, how many of you enjoy a free day in school? Oh, yeah. Come on. Amen. Love those days. Now, how many of you, that first day of class, you took that syllabus, you printed it out, right, and you came having read everything and you were ready to go? Any, any, anyone? Okay, look around. Those are the people that you're going to be calling upon at the end of the semester. Okay, those are your go-getters. But I love the syllabus, right, the first day of class, because in the syllabus, what you find is a list of assignments. That list of assignments. I mean, imagine your professor is giving you everything you need to be successful in class this semester. All your books, the purpose of the class, all that stuff. And then he even, or she even, gives you an assignment list. All of your assignments that semester and when they're due. So if you're a go-getter, hey, go ahead, plan ahead, put it in your calendar, put it in your schedule. I have this big project coming up, so I probably need to devote some time here. And so I thought, hey, what better way for us in Ascent to start this semester by looking at the syllabus? Now, for us as followers of Jesus, what is our syllabus? What is our roadmap? It's the Word of God. And today, I want to share with you our most important assignment in life. Our most important assignment in life. You see, just like the syllabus that's undervalued and overlooked, I feel that today especially... In our culture, we as followers of Jesus can undervalue and overlook our assignment. I can't tell you about the number of times people come to me, Quincy, what do I do with my life? What's, what am I here for? I don't know what I'm going to do after school. I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate. What's the purpose? 
And I would say that our purpose, our assignment, our duty has not changed since the beginning of time. Since God created the world. Our assignment, friends, is that of multiplication. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual multiplication. This is life's most important assignment. Multiplication. Now, what does that mean? Quincy, I don't like math. I'm right there with you. I don't like math either. But multiplication, talking about spiritual discipleship, multiplying the Jesus in you, in other people. Multiplying the Jesus in you, in other people. God, since the very beginning of time, said multiply and fill the earth. God's plan has not changed. Multiply and fill the earth with his glory. And so today, today I want us to look at scripture. I want us to go through from Genesis to Revelation and trace God's plan of multiplication. Now I know Genesis to Revelation, Quincy, I'm only here till 1215. We're going to get through it, I promise. I promise. But friends, we have to see our most overlooked and undervalued assignment in life is this. We overlook it. We've been distracted. And today I want us to look at this life-giving, truth-filled book and see that this semester, this semester, you have one assignment, one duty, and that is to multiply Jesus in you, in others. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, for this time together as we open up your word, I, pr- I pray, Father, that I would not be a distraction or a hindrance, Lord, to the truth that is found here. I pray, God, for those in this room that have been distracted by things that they think or feel or who have been lied to that are more important in life. I pray, God, that you would, through your word, illuminate to us the truth that we're called to multiply and fill the earth with your glory. That's our mission. And we so thank you, Lord, that you invite us to be on mission with you. So, Lord, help us in our understanding. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you have your Bible... Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, right? We have the creation story. In this creation story, God creates this Garden of Eden, right? This perfect place where God and man can dwell together. And so, of course, God creates man and woman, but he doesn't just create them and just say, okay, go enjoy this great place. What does he tell them to do? This is before the fall, mind you. What does he tell God, or what does God tell Adam and Eve to do? In chapter 1, verse 28, God says this, and God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the duty, that was the assignment, Adam and Eve. I'm giving you this duty, this assignment, be, be, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is their assignment. And of course, what is God saying? Adam and Eve, get busy, go make babies, right? Get to work. 
And obviously that happens, and, but Adam and Eve, in the middle of that, do something. They, they, they eat from a tree that God specifically told them not to eat from. And what happens? Well, sin enters the picture. And there now becomes a great chasm between God and man. But does God's plan to multiply and fill the earth, does this plan of multiplication, does this stop? No, of course not. It continues on. You know the story of Noah and the flood, right? Noah is a good guy. He fears God. The world is up in chaos. And what does God decide, what, what does God decide to do? He decides to use Noah. No, Noah, start building a boat. I'm going to bring a flood. Noah starts building this boat, right? People are asking him, Noah, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I, heard it, I, I heard from God. And so again, Noah is, you know, you know the story. They call him two by two. They get into the... They get into the ark. The rain comes. But what happens when, after the rain comes? God tells Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, Noah. And of course that happens. And then you fast forward to Genesis chapter 22. And what do we see? We see God talk to Abraham. We see God talk to Abraham and he says, he comes to him in a vision. God Tells Abraham, Abraham, look at the stars. I want you to look at the stars, Abraham. What do you see? He starts counting all the stars. Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Of course, Abraham laughs at God. He's like, okay, God, really? I don't know if you know this, but I'm a little old. My wife and I are a little past that stage in our marriage, in our life, where we can be fruitful. But of course, God stays true to his promise. He stays true to his promise and he gives Abraham a son, Isaac. And in the middle of this, God, in order to test Abraham's obedience and faith and trust in him, he says, Abraham, I want you to, you to take your son to this hilltop. I want you to take your son to this hilltop and I want you to sacrifice him. Of course, Abraham is... A little confused. This is, their, this is my son whom you promised is going to become a great nation. A lot of descendants. But, God, but Abraham, having complete trust in God, of course, takes him and his son right up to this hilltop. And Abraham, his son, asks him, Dad, where, where's the sacrifice? I don't see the sacrifice. Abraham says, don't worry, God will provide he goes up on this hilltop. He, raise, he raises his dagger about to sacrifice his son. And then in the middle of that, the angel of the Lord comes and says, Stop! Abraham, good job, man. Whew. Obedient to the Lord. And he, and he says this to Abraham. Of course, he provides the ram that's caught in the thicket. He says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and, the, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God's plan of multiplication continues on through Abraham. Abraham gives birth to a great and mighty nation, right? That's where we have the people of Israel. People of Israel getting busy, making babies, multiplying, they're having sons, they're having daughters. What, what is the purpose of this chosen nation? The purpose of this chosen nation is to show the world who God is, is to, is to highlight God their Father. But as the scriptures say, 
the nation of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. They turned away from God. They disobeyed God. They started worshiping all these different idols. And they did turn into a great and mighty nation, right? They had King David. You know, David, the guy with the stone, throws it to Goliath. He falls down, becomes king, starts taking over everything. They did become a great and mighty nation, but they turned their back from God. You think that's where the story ends, Quincy. This multiplication, this duty, this assignment that God told man to do since the very beginning of time. How is this going to ever go forward? How is God going to multiply and fill the earth with his glory? Well, then there comes a young girl named Mary. We all know this story. Many of us talked about it. Maybe even you read it with your family over Christmas break. God comes to Mary. Angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, I know you're a virgin, but through you, you're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. And all authority and power in heaven and on earth is going to be given to him. And the nation, the world, will be blessed through your son, Jesus. And of course, Jesus is more than just a man. He's fully God and fully man. The one that the prophets in the Old Testament always spoke about that was going to come and take on the sins of the world and defeat death. And Jesus enters the scene. Jesus enters the scene and he you know, collects this group of guys called his disciples, the 12 disciples, right? We all know those guys are walking around. Jesus is healing people, healing the sick, healing the blind, raising dead people to life. And through his ministry, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. We hear Jesus in the Gospels talk about this kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven all the time. And of course, his disciples are a little confused most of the time on what he actually means. Jesus is talking about, many times through scripture, we'll kind of take his disciples aside and start explaining what he means when he means kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Now, you have to put yourself in the disciples' shoes, right? You're with this guy. He's going around. He's been given all this power. He's been given all this authority. And you think, wow, I hitched my wagon to the right horse, right? This guy's going places. We have the Roman Empire taking over. It's, it's, it's large. It's expansive. But Jesus, this Jesus guy, he has power. He has authority. I'm in the right boat. And so for them, they're thinking an immediate physical kingdom that Jesus is going to rule. When he talks about kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. But of course, this isn't what Jesus is talking about. Many times he would pull his disciples aside to explain that. And so if you go to Mark chapter 4, verse 30, Jesus has one of those moments where he pulls his disciples aside and says, Guys, listen, don't mess it up. When I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven, let, let me break it down for you. He says, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown up, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You're the disciples and you're thinking, okay, kingdom of God, Jesus, you're really powerful. You're saying this small, insignificant seed 
Any of you have seen a mustard seed before? It's tiny, right? So small, so minuscule, so insignificant. How could this small seed grow to become this huge plant, this life-filled plant with these large branches full of life? How does it become that large? How does it grow to become what it is? Well, we think, well, how does God grow things before? How have we seen him grow things before? It's through multiplication. Multiply, fill the earth with his glory. Jesus, of course, when he talks about the kingdom of God, is talking about not a physical kingdom that is immediate, but an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom to which you, as a follower of Jesus, have inherited, have been adopted into, have been born into. This family of God that we call the bride of Christ. And of course, Jesus continues on to share with his disciples. He says in Matthew chapter 28, he gives them what we call the Great Commission. This is at the end of his time here on earth. By this time, Jesus has gone to the cross, he's died for our sins. He rose again to defeat death to show that we could have freedom and victory and life in him. And now he's about to go and ascend into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And what does he tell his disciples? He says in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is how you're going to fill the earth. This is how that tiny mustard seed, so small, so insignificant, is going to grow and become this family tree that's going to bear my name. Go therefore and make disciples reminiscent of the assignment, of the duty that God assigned Adam and Eve in the garden. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. For us today, multiplying isn't necessarily having babies, but bearing spiritual children, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, the early church, the disciples heard this. They were looking up into heaven. If you read in Acts, the angels come and say, guys, look busy. What are you doing? Don't just stand there looking up into heaven. Go do something. Of course, the disciples gather around in what they call the upper room, and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill them with power to do this incredible task that Jesus had called them to do. And it wasn't like Jesus gave them that task to say, hey guys, listen, great time. Man, Mark, great times, man. I'm going to miss those times. I'm going to miss those times. Now that I think about it, you know what? You guys, just, just take what I've been teaching you and just spread it around. Yeah, just spread it around, just thought of that. No, 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 no. This wasn't something, Jesus didn't assign them something that was new. He was assigning them, he was refocusing their duty and their assignment to multiply and fill the earth. And so, of course, the disciples go into the upper room and they wait. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and Peter gets upright and starts proclaiming Jesus to the people, speaking in all different languages, He says, Jesus is the way of life. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the chosen one. In Jesus, you can find life more full, 
He is our King, our Lord, our Savior. And he doesn't even have to give an invitation. The people stand there in Acts. You can read it. They say, well, what should we do? They hear this great truth about Jesus. What should we do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Imagine that. Crazy. God begins to build and multiply his church, the bride of Christ. And the early church saw explosive growth, massive growth, right? How? Through multiplication, we come across a story about a man named Saul. This is after, right, Peter and the apostles are going around teaching and proclaiming the good news. And all of a sudden enters this story in Acts, a guy named Saul. Now Saul was a bad dude. He was going around, he was persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail. But Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus, right? And Saul was blinded. And we're told to go to a house in the city. And in that moment, God gave Saul a vision. A vision to take the Jesus he saw to others. To the Gentiles. To a world that had not, who had not heard the good news of Christ. And so Paul commits his life, dedicates his life to this work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, we get a picture of kind of Paul's life and what he surrendered himself to completely. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul got it. He understood his assignment. As a follower of Jesus, he was to multiply the Jesus in him and other people. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. He says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I, might, that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul got it. He understood his assignment. He wasn't distracted he knew what he was called to do. And of course, we know the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul started pouring into this young man called, named Timothy. And Timothy was a young, bright-eyed guy leading the church, full of faith in God, that God would further his church. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, we get that famous verse where Paul tells Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
This is what Paul did time and time and time again. Timothy, take what I have given you. What is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take what I have given you and trust to faithful men who will entrust to others. We have a diagram, I think. This is it. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. What we see here is that you think, wow, that's great. That's an awesome kind of progression. But what we don't understand is that in terms of spiritual multiplication, we are both the result and the reason of multiplication. Think about it for a second. What began since the beginning of time, God had you in mind. This duty, this assignment that he invites us into, he had you in mind. We're all a result and a reason for multiplication. Think about for those of you who follow Jesus, who have given your life to Jesus in this room, where that began. Did it, be, did it begin in a high school room? Maybe you're at your home church back at home. And did, it, did it begin when a, a small group leader was talking to you about Jesus? Maybe a coach? Maybe it was in a room like this. Maybe it's when you started your year in the fall. Someone had to bring the good news. We're both a result and we're both the reason for spiritual multiplication. We're called to be multipliers. What I love about this progression is that it includes us. God includes us to be on mission with him. But spiritual multiplication doesn't end with just us making disciples, proclaiming the good news. We can see spiritual multiplication culminate in revelation in the end times. That time when Jesus is going to come back, it says in Revelation 4, starting in verse 8, we see multiplication, God's multiplication, happen in a different way. It's not multiplication of disciples, yet it culminates with a multiplication of praise, multiplication of worship, where we see myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands. Do what? Gather around the throne of God and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Began with an assignment, Adam and Eve in the garden, and culminates and ends with praise upon praise upon praise upon praise upon praise to God forever and ever. Do you see this, friends? God's story just woven out And he invites us into this. It's incredible. I was thinking about this truth, this truth that we see in the Bible about multiplying. And I wonder, why is it? Why is it that we talk about it? We can talk about it. We get in here and say, yeah, spiritual multiplication, great. Awesome. Go make disciples. I've been in college ministry now. I started coming to Ascent when I was a freshman. And man, we talk about it a lot. But you know what blows me away is just how little we see it actually happen. 
And I thought, why is that? Well, I think that we have been sold a lie that we just have other things in our life that are more important. More important. That job opportunity, that grade, that relationship. We've been sold this lie that there are other things in this life that will bring us fulfillment, that will bring us satisfaction, that will bring us joy, that will bring us happiness. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that that is a lie from the enemy. There is nothing, catch this, there is nothing that you can do that is more fulfilling, that is more joy-filled, that is more important than this. This is your assignment, friends. If you are in Christ, this is your assignment. And it is so fulfilling to multiply the Jesus in you in other people. There's nothing. Don't be distracted by the things that would waste your time. We're not called, friends, to maintain. Maintain a good GPA. Maintain that really cool, exciting life that I have on Instagram. Maintain that relationship. Maintain just being, being cool, being, being fun. We're not called to maintain. We're called to multiply. And when you surrender yourself to multiplication, when you surrender yourself to say, God, I am yours, use me to multiply and fill the earth with your glory, there is sacrifice. There is suffering. But there is so much joy in Christ. So, where do we begin? How can we begin to be multipliers in our life? If you're called to it, if you're assigned to it, if you're in Christ, where do we begin? Well, I think looking through the ministry of Jesus, we'd see six marks of a multiplier, six characteristics of a multiplier. I'm going to run through them really quick. I encourage you to write them down. There's a, there's a, there's a reference to each and every one of them. I encourage you to go back this week to read over these six characteristics and pray over these scriptures and say, God, make this me. Don't look around to your friends and say, who will it be? Say, God, make it me. Make me a multiplier this semester. Number one, have a deep and intimate love for Jesus, marked by a desire to trust and obey him. Mind you, we put a qualifier Desire to trust and obey him. We live in a very cultured, trendy, cool age of Christianity. It's cool to be a Christian. Man, love Jesus. Oh, man, just love Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I hear that. Love Jesus. Love Jesus enough to trust him and obey him. Do what you say mark the inside of your being. In those unknown, unseen times, have a deep and intimate love for your Savior. Number two, commitment to build up the body of Christ, his church. I can't tell you, I, I did this, we're all, we're all victims of this. 
will go around and will hop around for three, four years, church to church to church. Many of you in here today are not going to be here next week. You're going to be at Cross Point or Blue Ridge or Gospel Community, awesome churches. I cannot tell you the number of Jesus-loving churches in this city. It's incredible. Anchor yourself somewhere. Plant yourself somewhere. It's hard to be a multiplier when you have no home base. No church is perfect. Stop trying to find a perfect church. If you find one, please let me know. Plant yourself somewhere. Anchor yourself somewhere. Surround yourself with the body of Christ. Older men instruct the younger men. Older women instruct the younger women. We have Bible studies, men's and women's life here at Thomas Road. Take advantage. Take hold of all of it. Plant yourself in a local body, whether it's here or whether it's at Cross Point or Blue Ridge. The list goes on and on. I was in a meeting one uh, last year, and they said we have about over 300 churches in Lynchburg. 300. Give our life, give your life to building up the body of Jesus Christ. Number three, have an urgency to share the gospel with the lost. Friends, this is difficult. I understand. I get it. Might feel uncomfortable, might feel uneasy. Begin to pray. Pray and ask God to give you an open door. Say, I want to build relationships with people first. You know, I've got to build relationships with people and, you know, be the hands and feet of Jesus. I get that. Understand it. Do it. But use your words. Speak the truth of God. Tell people that there is a Savior. There is a Lord. His name is Jesus. He came to this earth lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose again to show us that we could have life in the only way that to have life in the fullest. We just need to practice. We need to use this muscle. We don't use it enough. I'll be the first to tell you that this is a difficult one. You think, Quincy, you're in, you work in a church. Yeah? I'm flawed like everyone else. Last weekend, I was trapped in a hotel in D.C., that huge snowstorm, right? And for weeks, I've been praying, God, would you just give me an open door? Just give me an open door to share the gospel with somebody. I'd love that opportunity, Lord. And I finally get to this hotel, right, and I'm snowed in. I'm supposed to meet with a church over there about stuff, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you know what? Cowboys game's on. I'm watching the Cowboy game. Don't talk to me about it, Okay. Don't talk to me about it after this, please. Watch the Cowboys game, watch the Eagles game, all that stuff, fun stuff, great stuff. And I'm leaving the hotel, right? It's, it's Monday, snow's kind of dissipated. And I'm, and I'm driving, I'm like, Lord, just, I'm praying, I'm praying, Lord, for an opportunity to, to share the gospel. And you know what? He said, Quincy, you were just in a hotel with 300 other people for 24 hours. What about that? Sweet lady that checked you in to your hotel room. What about that guy that was sitting by himself across from you while you were eating your powdered eggs? What about that couple that was with you in the elevator? Friends, we we don't exercise that muscle. So stop just saying, Lord, just give me an opportunity and seize the opportunity that is around you every single day. Number four, lifestyle, saturated in discipling relationships. 
saturated in discipling relationships. When you hear that word discipling, I'm not talking about that lunch you have once a week. Great lunch as it is. Hey, man, let's get together. Let's go over this book about loving God. Great. I'm not talking about a one-hour meeting each week. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Jesus, think about it. If he, he is our ultimate example, the one who made the most disciples, the seed. He didn't say, hey, Mark, you and I got lunch on Tuesdays. Peter, you and I breakfast on Mondays. Pick a, pick a book of the Old Testament. We're going to go through it together. I'm going to show you how I'm what they're talking about. He didn't say that. He did life with them. He walked with them, traveled with them, grieved with them. Laughed with them. Lived with them. Give your life to disciple making. Number five, have a hunger and thirst for the word of God. We talk about this all the time. Get in love with this word. Read it. Have it sit on the shelf of your heart and saturate your soul. There's no greater book that you will read this semester than this book full of life and truth. Number six, have a desperate reliance on the Holy Spirit through prayer. Desperate reliance on the Holy Spirit through prayer. What I love in Acts, as the disciples were sitting there in the upper room, it says that they waited. They prayed and waited. Friends, the Holy Spirit The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you if you call on Christ as Savior. Do you know that? Desperately rely on the Holy Spirit through prayer. Have him empower you to be bold and proclaim Jesus to the nations. There's nothing more important and more fulfilling than this, friends. No greater assignment that you can turn in No greater project you can complete than this. You say, Quincy, what does that really look like? Well, I was bold, and I tried my hand at math. Okay? And so we start here. I think there's a table right here. Let's say this semester. There's typically eight semesters in your entire four years in college, right? Let's say you decide, I'm going to get two other people with me. And we're going to pray, and we're going to fast, and we are going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to teach three other people to do the same thing. Imagine if you committed yourself, focused yourself every semester to do that. The second semester, you have nine people. Three of you teaching three others to do the same. You want to know what it'll look like after eight? Friends, you say, how is that possible? Jesus did it. The disciples did it. The early church did it. Imagine, would you ask God for a greater vision for your campus? He'll do it. He's done it. He's been doing it. You think, we all want to make impact in our life. 6,561 disciples knowing, loving Jesus, proclaiming gospel, praying, fasting for the lost. Doesn't get better than this. I see a day when we gather in this room, the end of every year, 
and our seniors come forward and we lay hands on them and we pray, God, take them to the nations. Imagine the impact. What greater work is this, friends? What greater work is there than to give your life to Jesus and multiply the Jesus in you and others? What greater work is there? We can do this. We can do this. Followers of Jesus in this room, we can do this. There's Holy Spirit power inside of you. God assigned you this duty, this task, the very beginning. We can do this. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, all in with this. I love World War II. Name a World War II movie. I've seen it. I love that time in our history because it was a great generation. A great generation of people that were rising to the occasion to say, we are going to stand for justice. We are going to stand for freedom. Not just here in the United States, but in Britain, in France. I love that time of history. It's marked by great, great pain and suffering. But Winston Churchill, as you know, was an example of steadfastness for his nation. When Germany was attacking and invading Great Britain, devastating great parts of their country, Winston Churchill called on every man, every woman, and every child to serve their country in the best way they knew how. If you guys know anything about geography, right, Great Britain's still around. It's still around. In one of those wartime speeches, Winston Churchill said this. I have this quote in the back of my Bible. He says, to each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing. Unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for, what, for that which could have been their finest hour. Friends, I believe that this story of multiplication, God's multiplication to fill the earth with his glory, includes you. He's tapping you on the shoulder, inviting you. This is the God and maker of the universe inviting us to be on mission with him. An incredible invite. How devastating. How devastating if we just walked on past. Said, nah, I'm gonna give my life to something else. Think about the people on your campus, the people in this city Multiply the Jesus in you and other people. I see a generation, our generation, rising to the occasion. I see us rising to the occasion. I see our generation being multipliers, multiplying Jesus and awaiting that day when we multiply praise upon praise upon praise around the throne of God saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you see that day? God sees it. Do you see it?
You can do this. You can do this. He's inviting you. Hey everyone, this is Quincy. I'm the college pastor here at Thomas Road Baptist Church. Thank you so much for listening to the message. If you have any questions at all, please email us at college at trbc.org. We'd love to hear from you and also love to know how we can best help you on your journey with Jesus.